The text for the sermon this morning is 1 John 1, verses 5, verse 5 through to chapter 2, verse 2, which we have already read. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, darkness is something that we all live with. People are often afraid of the dark. It contains the unknown. Darkness brings with it a fear of being alone. There are hidden dangers in the darkness, unseen realities. Children are perhaps most aware of this. Children, how often does it happen that you go to bed and it's too dark and you're unsure about the dark and you need that door left open just a little? Darkness contains uncertainty, and it contains fear. But darkness is also something that we can hide behind. The game of hide-and-go-seek is best played in the dark. We can do certain things under the cover of darkness. We can be hidden from sight. And darkness also, at times, can describe us. Sometimes we have a darkness in us that is a darkness from sin, a life of sin, or a darkness of sorrow, a darkness of sadness, of hopelessness, or anger. Sometimes that darkness describes us. So darkness is something that we are all well acquainted with. And darkness has always been part of this world. When God created the heavens and the earth, it was formless and void, and darkness was there. But into the middle of this darkness, we see that God speaks his creative word, and he says, let there be light. That's the first thing he created. It was light that separated from the darkness. And that first creative word of our Lord says so much about God. He didn't, begin, he didn't have to begin creation that way, but he did. God is light, and he creates light. And we see that after the darkness, after the, after, sorry, after the fall, after that darkness of the fall, that God continues to bring his light God and light go together. We read that God is light. And he dwells in unapproachable light. When the Lord Jesus comes into this world, he is called the light of the world. And the new heavens and the new earth, they will be a place that is defined by light. There will be no night. And so as we look at our text, as we look at 1 John, we see that the Apostle John, as he speaks about the joy that he has of knowing the Lord Jesus Christ, speaks in terms of light. In fact, he speaks of light and God being light as the all-encompassing message that the Lord Jesus brought when he came to earth. God is light. And not only does, does John say that God is light, he says that in him there is no darkness at all. It's emphatic. 
God is completely without darkness. So John is telling us something about who God is, about the nature of God. God is light. He is the one who drives fears away. He is the one who reveals all things with his searching rays. And he is the one who is completely removed from sin and darkness. God is light, and he shines his light into this dark world. And that means something for us right now. That means something for our lives, how we live before him. And that's really what our text is all about, how we live before him, he who is light. So let us hear the word of God this morning under the following theme. God is light. And that means that life with God involves fellowship in the light, forgiveness in the light, and freedom in the light. So first of all, we'll see that it's fellowship in the light. Now in verse 6 and 7 of our text, we read these words. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Now what John's doing here is he's continuing to talk about something he introduced in verse 3 of the chapter. He says there, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. So he proclaims to his readers what he and his fellow apostles saw, heard, and touched in the Lord Jesus Christ. So the eternal Son of God came from heaven to earth. They saw him, they touched him. They proclaim that so that, with the purpose of their listeners having fellowship with them and fellowship with God and with his Son. So he's continuing to talk about that. And what he does here in our text is he now interacts with an improper way of viewing that fellowship. You'll notice that there are these three if-we-claim statements in our text. Verse 6, verse 8, and verse 10. If we claim to be in the light, or if we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness. That's the one we have here in verse 6. What, what he's doing with these if we claim statements is he's countering a wrong way of looking at fellowship with God. Now what he's doing here in verse 6 of our text is he is confronting people who are saying that they have fellowship with God but they do not live in a way that reflects God's light. John is saying to his readers that, that life with God, life in fellowship with God, means that you look like him in some way. Now these people did not look like God. They did not look like the Son. These people were saying that they could continue to live a life of sin, a life of doing all these things that do not reflect the will of God, and still have fellowship with God. Still be in a relationship, a friendship with God. So John's countering those people. And we, we still see those people today. They are called dualists. They, they see their lives as, to, as containing two unrelated aspects. One is something spiritual, and then one is something material of this world. 
this division between spirit and body. In the old world, they were in the ancient world, they were called Gnostics. Now today, we don't really have people walking around saying, I'm a dualist. I live a life in the spirit and I live a life in the here and now and they're completely unrelated. They don't call themselves that, but they live that way. They are practical dualists. And we really see two types and they have come to be called by two names, wet dualists and dry dualists. Now wet dualism is, is where you, you can be living a life of sin. You could be caught up in, in all kinds of of sinful activities. You can be caught up in, in premarital, extramarital, extramarital affairs. You can be involved in a life of drugs, a life of crime, destructive relationships. And yet you can say, you know, I'm really good with God. I feel in my heart that this is where God wants me to be. And you know, I, I really don't think I've been closer to Jesus ever. You may have had people like that in your lives. You, you may have that in yourselves. But when we hear that, we kind of go, really? That, that's, you're close to Jesus as you live that way? That's a wet dualist. Now, a dry dualism involves a life that has that same life of sin. But instead of having an emotional response, they have a rational response. So they'll, they'll live that life that was just described, but they will have all the doctrine right. They will know all the theological disputes. They can win all the arguments. They'll show up twice on Sunday. They'll do all the things. They'll check off all the things they have to do. But it's not in their heart. And they don't live it. We often speak of those people as Sunday Christians. They, they live two lives. A secular life and a sacred life. And the two don't meet. And what John's saying is that if you live either of these two ways, as a dualist, as someone whose life does not match the gospel, then you're lying. You're not telling the truth about yourself. You're living a lie and not the truth. Something that's a temptation for us to retreat into some sort of emotional state or into some sort of rationalization of the way we live. But that is a lie. If you are living a life of sin, if you are embracing the darkness, if, you're, if you are caught in a sin and you can't get out and you somehow think that that does not impact your life with God, if you think you can hold on to that, love that sin, and still be right with God. You need to stop. You need to stop and look at yourself. You need to stop lying. That call comes to us in our text. Being in fellowship with God. Having friendship with God. Reconciliation with God. Means that as you walk with Him. You look like Him. You reflect His light. Living and walking in the light, living and walking with God, means that you see it in your life. doesn't mean that we earn the right to be in the light. But what it means is that when you put your faith in Christ, when you completely rest and rely on Christ, that reflects itself 
in your life. Your actions from the heart prove that faith is living there. John's basically saying that your walk of life is evidence of who you are. If you are darkness, then you have no fellowship with the light, regardless of what you say. And John really brings that home as he, as he speaks of what it looks like to walk in the light. In verse 7, he says, If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. You live in fellowship with one another. What he does is he looks at the evidence of loving God. The evidence of loving God is that you love your neighbor. And you'll see that in verse 11, or verses 9 through 11, as he works this out a little further. If you love your brother, if you hate your brother, that's living in the light, living in the darkness. So when you love God, you love those who are your brothers and sisters. You live in fellowship with them. You are connected to the people of God, and as that people of God, you are washed by the blood of Christ. You are cleansed from your sins. And that's really the wonder that we have in our text. Because that can sound pretty harsh. We all know that darkness lives in us. We all know that we sin. We all know that we fall short. But John isn't saying, be perfect light so that you can walk with God. No, he tells us that we're sinners as we walk with God, and the blood of Jesus purifies us. So what he's saying in our text is that you're not required to be a perfect light. No, you walk in the light with God, and you are made clean. God drives your darkness away. Those who walk in the light are those who strive, who long to be holy. It pains them to see that brokenness in their lives. It pains them to see the sin that is there against their will. And they long to be released from that. And they long for Christ. They long to display what God is doing in them. As John 3, 21, which we read earlier, says, they long to have God's work in them displayed so that everybody knows that it is God's work. And then what John does is he focuses more on that sin, on that darkness. What was happening in the churches that John was addressing is that there were people who were saying that they were not sinful and they did not sin. They didn't have a sinful nature and they didn't commit sins. And you can see that by those two if we claim statements in verse 8 and verse 10. The one says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And then verse 10 we have, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. You can see what they're doing there. They're claiming they don't have a sinful nature. And John says, you're lying to yourself. And then they say, we don't commit sins. He says, you're making God a liar. So it focuses on that deception. 
lying to yourself, calling God a liar. If you argue that way, if you somehow make sin not real, then you're deceiving yourself. You're, you're like that patient who, who doesn't like what the doctor says, ignores all the, all the data, and calls the doctor a liar. You know, if we don't think that we have sin, then we haven't really properly understood reality. We haven't understood this world. We haven't understood the reality of sin. We haven't understood the impact of sin in this world and how it impacts every facet of our lives. We're happily going along, deluded by our own spiritual good health. And what we, in effect, do is we make God out to be a liar. God has told us in his word that we are sinners. He's been telling us that from the start. Not only that, he sent his own son into this world to suffer and to die for that sin. If you say that sin is not a big deal, if you say you are not a sinner, you're saying that God is lying about us and he has overreacted to the problem by sending his own son to die. That downplaying, that dismissing of sin undermines the whole story of salvation. God has taken sin so seriously that he sent his son to die. Right now we're in the middle of what is called Lent. It's a time of remembering Christ's death. Remember that death. Remember what God did in his son. Remember that horrible death he had to die under the weight of our sin. We cannot deny the existence or the horribleness of sin for us. And that, that temptation to dismiss it or to somehow suppress what it means is something that we come up against in our lives on a daily basis. We may not be as explicit as the people that John was addressing are. But we say things like this. We say, am I really that bad? Is, is sin really this great a problem? Does it make sense that God is so upset about sin? Why does he take it so serious? Why does he take himself so serious? You know, as I look at myself, I'm not that bad. When these thoughts creep in, we're losing sight of the majesty of God. We're losing sight of the horribleness of sin and the wonder of redemption. What we do is we make sin small and we make forgiveness a meaningless word. But we have forgiveness in the light. The answer is we make our way through this dark world is not to diminish sin, to make ourselves feel better about ourselves. It's not to keep those sins obscured or diminished or dimmed down. The answer is not to retreat into the darkness and remain hidden there. Sometimes that's the easy way to live. Stay in the dark. 
keep the sins hidden, even from ourselves. And so often we have done that. We have retreated into the darkness. We've imprisoned ourselves by sin. We're held captive by deceptive thinking, unaware of what is happening. We've imprisoned ourselves by our own sin, unable to see the light. And what we need to do is we need to stop and we need to examine ourselves. We need to look at ourselves rightly. That's what our text calls us to do. Verse 9, confess our sins. We need to stop, we need to look at ourselves, confess our sins. We need to step out into the bright light of God and have that bright light shine on us and expose every nook and cranny. And don't rest and rely on yourselves. Rest and rely on Christ. Lay yourself before God, who is light, and may He expose all your hidden faults and errors and make you realize how much you need Christ. And may He bring you closer to Him through that. May He bring you healing and the comfort of forgiveness. God is faithful and just. He will do what He has promised. He has said that He will forgive you in His Son. And He will do what He has promised. He will bring forgiveness. He will bring renewal in the light. Christ has set us free from sin and He's brought us into fellowship with God. And that's really our only hope for this life. We are released from the darkness given freedom, given a new life in the light. That means that we are free to live the way we were meant to live. We have been liberated from the bondage of sin. That's what John wants to bring home in, verse, in chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. And you can see that by the way he changes the way he speaks. He says, my dear children, does that throughout the letter when he wants to bring home a point. My dear children, it brings home his pastoral care for his readers. He loves them and he longs for their joy. And he longs for them to know that freedom that they have in Christ. And he wants them to strive for righteousness. What he says is, he says, my dear children, I write this to you so you will not sin. But at the same time, as he holds up that, the goal to live without sin. But at the same time, he realizes that we will fall, we will stumble. So what he does is he assures them that when they fall short, they have someone who speaks in their defense. Someone who will argue for their freedom. The word he uses in our text is, is, is a word that speaks to to someone who pleads the cause of another. Old translations would have paraclete or advocate. And that's what we have here. Jesus is our defense attorney. Christ is our advocate. He pleads our cause before the throne of God. What he says in, in our text is, but if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense as our defense attorney, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice 
for our sins, and not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. So we stand before the judge facing a just punishment for our sins. But Jesus comes forward and he pleads our case. He speaks in our defense. And we go free because of Christ and because of nothing else. We don't go free because we get off on a technicality. That's really what our text brings home. The full case is heard. We are guilty. But our defense attorney steps forward. And he is the atoning sacrifice. What that means is he comes forward and says, yes, they're guilty. But I take their punishment. The full punishment is carried out. But it's carried out on our defense attorney. It's carried out on Christ. And that sacrifice, John says, has such immense value. He uses that phrase, it is the sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now that does not mean that he is saying that Jesus pays for the sins of every single human being who has ever existed for all time. pretty hard to make that text say that, though some have tried. But even in our, own te- in, our, in our text, you can see that John says that there are those who do not have fellowship, who are in the darkness. There are those who are not washed by the blood of Christ. Now, John is not talking here about some sort of universalism. What he's talking about is the power of Christ's sacrifice. That sacrifice is so strong, so powerful, that it completely covers our sins. We use the phrase, the efficacy of Christ's sacrifice. There there is no sin that anybody here has committed that cannot be covered by this sacrifice. We do not have to worry that somehow we have been so bad that our sins cannot be covered by Christ. That is the gospel. When you turn to Christ, you have freedom from sin. Experience that freedom. Come to know that freedom. If you have been a slave to sin, if it has held you in its grip, if you long to be released from it, look to Christ. Turn to Him. Cling to him. Step out of the darkness. Step out of that prison. And step into the light. Christ has died for your sins. When you belong to him, when you cling to him, you have that forgiveness. Have confidence in that. The darkness will be banished. It will not overcome that light. Rejoice in that light. Embrace the fellowship, the forgiveness, and the freedom that you have in that light. Amen. Let us now sing in response to the proclamation of the word, hymn 27.
And we'll sing those verses 1, 2, 5, and 7. <laughs> 